The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome Welcome, to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be be brave, and be fearless, let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome Welcome, welcome. to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasa, your host. In today's interview, I talked to Andrew Moffat, who is a partner at Opinion Route, and we talk a little bit about some of the innovative things that Opinion Route has been working on over the last several months, and that's really focused on improving the quality of data within our ecosystem. We also talk about the expansion of our ecosystem by building partnerships and really working with non-traditional players that typically don't operate in our space. Take a listen. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Sina. Nice to uh, be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we go way back. It's been a long time. I think you and I first connected when you were at SSI. Yeah. Right? Gosh, how many years ago was that? At least a decade ago anyway, probably. Yes, yes. And now you're at Opinion Route. For our listeners, can you just give a brief overview of what Opinion Route does? Yeah. So at Opinion Route, we call ourselves the leaders in insights process management. What that is, it's basically a category that we're kind of living into, focused in on various elements of the research process. And many of the things we'll talk about today are mostly in the fieldwork process of research, but we're looking to expand beyond that in time as we expand our technology offering. And so big into technology and have a very robust service business that's been in operation for the past five years and where we derive most of our revenue today. Got it. So when you talk about process management, is that kind of back-end market research operations or is it something different than that? Yeah. So it's everything involved in market research operations from the start to finish, from the ideation phase all the way through the end product being delivered to the client. And within the research process, it's a fairly defined process, right? You have research design and programming and field work and data processing and data delivery through various forms, whether it's, you know, appending data or visualizing data or presenting data in different forms, that process is pretty standard. And so uh, since most of us within the executive team have spent a lot of our careers in the field work space, it's where we're spending much of our initial technology efforts. We want to go beyond and cover the entire research process as we scale out into the future. And I know you had alluded to this as well, that you are spending a good amount of time on technology. Can you share a little bit of what you're working on? And actually, I know you have a passion for this because this was something that you were focused on as soon as you left SSI and also probably at SSI as well. Yeah. So at SSI, I was always one of the first to try out new things and bring in clients and, and be at the forefront of what we were doing. Um trying to do that here as well. But I think about 12 months ago, maybe 18 months ago, Terrence and I, my partner, he, we kind of sat down and decided that we saw our future 
and building technology and taking our experience and expertise and trying to put that into scalable technology products that can help solve some of the problems within market research that we saw. And the initial products that we've created are very much on the supply side of the industry, focused on fraud management and mitigation or identification and validating respondents for B2B research and developing tools to enable faster healthcare research and, and different things. And they're part of our overall vision of what we want to be. And most of what we'll build in the future will be all technology that basically tries to help both create a more efficient market research process, but also a more effective by, at least with the tools that we just brought out, just creating more better data through cleaning and filtering it better before it gets to the client survey. And the B2B side, it's pretty wide open in terms of tools and kind of data quality platforms that help validate respondents through the research process. On the B2B side, there is nothing at all. And, you know, so when I left SSI and after I set out my non-compete, everything that I did after that was really centered on trying to figure out how to make B2B work better. Because as a buyer of sample, you know, we would often, you know, buy from many different sources and in some cases kick out as much as 50% of the sample or even more in some cases. And that was, it was difficult as an aggregator, right? As a buyer and seller of samples, because you're putting your name behind it and you're kind of trusting it. And it was also difficult because it wasn't consistent, right? So, you know, a supplier could be good for a month and then they've got, you know, a couple of days when things fall apart and you kind of question everything you've ever done with them. And so initially what we did was try to find a better supply. And we did that through partnering with some expert networks and for just a real quick definition of an expert network is people who connect experts within industries with private equity, investment banking, consulting firms, people in those industries that are looking for help in guiding investments and acquisition decisions. And we had the opportunity to use these folks for quant research against online panels for many years. And when we did, would see a much different acceptance rates of data among clients. So in those same jobs, when we would see 50% of sample being removed from panels, we would see less than 5% of people removed from these surveys with these expert networks. And that's basically where the genesis of the B2B validation product came from, which was how can we repeat this at scale across all supply? And so that's what it is. But Andrew, when you did that, as you were leveraging these expert networks, did the actual survey design change? Was the approach different or was it truly apples to apples and that I was going to source some data from, you know, a traditional online panel and some from an expert network and everything else was equal? Good question. For the most part, it stayed the same. There may be some questions that would have to be altered, mostly for compliance purposes with the SEC and what have you, because they have a lot different regulations than what we do. But the questionnaire was pretty much the same other other than those edits. And what we found was much longer length of interviews than panels, mostly because we saw it come through an open ends where you would have much more robust open ends with a lot more thought being given to those answers that translated into longer surveys. And 
we would also see a lot more senior folks that you typically wouldn't find within panels participating. So you would see senior executives within larger companies. The challenge is, is that it's expensive, right? So expert sample is expensive. The relationships that got us into the market are now also expensive and not as cheap as they once were to allow us to do that. But we have this validation product to be able to leverage panels and find the good people within those panels so that we can create a better output for our clients or for those that, you know, leverage our technology, obviously. I would imagine also, you know, when you did those comparisons, the incentive structure was very different as well, which probably drove that price up, right? Yeah. Yeah, the experts are paying, you know, $35, dollars $100 to complete, depending on audience and who the network is. And that's all cash straight into bank accounts versus a yes. points-based system or whatever is being operated within the panel. Right. Well, and I wonder, like lately, I've been asking myself questions when, you know, we all are in the survey area and we do research and I still take surveys when I qualify. I often wonder, you know, I ask myself, would I be doing the survey if I wasn't just curious about it? As a buyer of research, if you see like IT decision maker for like 10 or $15, do you really want their opinion? <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's baffling because there's economic irrationality because we all want quality. We all are decision makers. I mean, many of us are. But yet when a client is you know, pushing on price, it's kind of like this duality that we live in, in terms of being able to meet the price, but also you know, in our heart of hearts, are we, are we saying that this is the best quality they can get? It's a challenge. Right. Yeah. Some people care enough to pay for it and some people don't. And you know, it's, it is what it is. And I guess, in a way, that's why we're developing the technology so that we don't have to be the ones making that decision, right? So we can give panels, like what I like about the tool, it's got two elements to it. One is where buyers of sample can buy better. Um, We're right now just trialing it out to a handful of customers that would basically buy blocks of completes over the course of the year and working with those bigger buyers first. And that's who we're piloting with, but there'll be more broader usage um, probably into Q2 and stuff. But from a panel point of view, we're seeing very interesting data that we can append to panelists, B2B side. So being able to overlay someone's professional profile, someone's firmographic background without asking those questions of respondents and being able to create a validated silo of your panel that is validated for B2B surveys can have that data overlaid on top of that information so that you can be so much more confident in selling that information as well as being a lot cleaner in terms of information that you're collecting from panelists and fly side um, are as interested as the buying side because in that same scenario where you have 50% of completes being removed, you you have as a panel manager decisions to make also, as you know, right, which is, do I pay them? Do I not pay them? Are they good? Are they bad? And a lot of times, those decisions are also subjective, as well as the decisions to remove that person to begin with. So to agree that some standards could be put in place to make that transaction a little bit more trustworthy, then I think we will all be in a better place. So tell us, how does the tool work? Would you, you don't have your own proprietary panel. People can basically license the platform to be able to validate their panelists. Can you share a little bit more about how that works? Yeah, so the process itself, 
regardless of how you would validate or enhance your data, it's hitting the same backend database at the same time. So that API on our side hits a bunch of data sources and it's doing, it's hitting all those data sources, it's seeing across sources what information it can gather and it's creating a confidence level on different data points to be able to use them or not use them. So to be able to access that, we've made it very easy for people and had spent a significant amount of time with the data privacy officer in the construction of the whole ecosystem so that we can make sure that everything is GDPR compliant. We are set up as a, a data processor rather than a data controller. So even though so that that's important from a lot of perspectives and the information that we use to validate, we don't store. So anything that's shared, it's not stored on our side, it's never reused on our side. So we're really just almost like a clearinghouse in between to, to clear up a problem that honestly exists. And we're just trying to make it a little bit better. That's very exciting. I think it will be well received since, you know, there's many solutions on the consumer side, but as you said, it's wide open on the B2B side. Yeah, there's nothing there. And it's a, it's a tough problem to solve, frankly. It's not an easy one. So we've been about 12 months in product development on the product. Obviously not constant because we got a lot of things going on, but trialing out, I would say, lots and lots of data sources, seeing which are valid, which one have good recent data, you know, looking at how sources play off against one another and just digging into that world. And, and for a lot of times, being able to create a bridge from B to C to B to B, and that was the hardest part so that we could take an existing panel that was recruited by consumer means and being able to overlay with confidence B2B information on that panel. That's interesting. That was the last hurdle that was <laughs> a tough one to get over, but we got there. Right. And so now the product's in pilot mode. It's collecting complete. We're now using the pilots to validate our scoring mechanisms. And once we get through that, then we'll be in the market very, very soon. So you have multiple databases that you have APIs to on the back end, and you've created some scoring mechanism based on the accuracy of those databases when somebody goes in to validate. Not those databases, the data points, right? So if I'm looking for you, how many places can I find you and how consistent is that data across all of those sources, right? Yeah. And that plays into how confident we are that it's you, right? And that confidence level on that validation, as well as our ability to overlay additional information or things that you can do to kind of accept or deny somebody as they're going through to your survey. So think of it like, um, just like you're making decisions based on the information that API is given back to you. Yep, that makes sense. Well, I'm curious to your perspective. I know many people are trying to sort through quality in different ways. And blockchain has been one of the areas that has been discussed as a way to kind of improve quality. How do you see blockchain playing a role in our industry or or more specifically in, in the technology you're building, if at all? In the industry, so I'm excited about blockchain because I like new things. And I actually think that blockchain as a technology will be around for a long time, especially in the financial world. And the opportunity that it gives us from a data privacy point of view is huge. But it's got some larger hurdles that it has to get through, in my view, to be more widely usable and acceptable. And once it hits that point, then I think 
everything can change, but I'm not sure when that point comes. How it scales out is huge. So the amount of transactions that happen within, I think you had someone on a couple of weeks ago, so they do like 6 billion transactions a year, right? So it's like, <laughs> think of like a blockchain running at that scale of a transaction and looking at it across a lot of places. You've got a lot of energy that you need to consume and you know people that are mining blockchain are setting up in Iceland and Norway and all these places so that they can consume energy better. So once it gets past that scale issue and there's a GDPR issue that's pretty huge, I don't know how it's going to get through that, but maybe because the technology itself is so secure that maybe that in itself is okay uh, or it's consumer driven versus some, you know, versus government driven, right? So a consumer can allow their data to be used in this way or something like that, then that's got some application. Um, but it's fascinating. I think evolving to a data economy where maybe users get a larger portion of a transaction or get to control their data better or choose to sell their data at whatever point they want to. Right. That's the world that I actually believe in quite a lot. So I'm a supporter. I'm just interested in an observer. And from our technology point of view, I think blockchain has some elements where we can store things that are necessary within the blockchain, but it's not going to run through our entire platform and ecosystem. And what do you think of all the consolidation that's going on in our industry? What's your perspective? Is it something that you had anticipated, surprised, or you know, just a matter of time? I don't know if it's a good thing, frankly. I think that there's a lot of control being exerted in the market. And, and for me, with whether it's valid ID or clean ID, which is the fraud prevention technology that we have, it's created in a way that gives the user a lot of control and transparency of what we're kind of giving to them. And so my way of looking at it is, in time, we want to enable everyone to have the same level of information and data and decision-making that some of these bigger consolidated companies have. And the platform that we're creating is kind of designed that way. So as we build our SaaS platform, like Clean ID and Valid ID are really just components of what we're building more broadly, right? So, but we're going to continue to sell different web services. So as we build out a router we'll have an open router so that people can potentially see and make their own transparent decisions about how their traffic gets routed themselves or, you know, bidding and feasibility, being able to leverage our technology to do some of that. And to the degree that we can kind of help the broader ecosystem become better and more technologically enabled, then consolidation becomes less of an issue, I think because you're trying to just create a level playing field from a, a technology and supply perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in many respects, the consolidation in the marketplace is, you know, it's nerving a bit. Like you want to kind of say, what does this all mean? But from my perspective, it does give an opportunity for a lot of creativity and even more entrepreneurial ventures to come about because there is an opportunity to be more nimble, more agile, and more creative in terms of the products and services you bring to market. That's the optimistic view that I have. A hundred percent. But it is challenging. Like when you have someone dominant in the market, it's always challenging, right? So it's an interesting time we live in. And I think it's not going to go away. You're going to see more and more consolidation. You're going to see more kind of bigger ecosystems being created, right? I think whether it's Kantar and Dynata and Lucid and Sense, and you're just looking at kind of bigger platforms. 
So we'll just see how that all shakes out and who's part of what at the end of the day. But I think our mission is clearly, like we're not a supplier of sample. We supply sample to our services business, but we do so in a very open and transparent way. And the same on the technology side, right? We're building tools that leverage our experience and our expertise and put them in the form of a technology that people can buy on a relatively cheap basis and use to make their businesses better. And the more businesses we help, the more we help scale out, you know, we're just doing our thing, living in our world, kind of just helping people get better all the time. And we see less of those effects. Yep. And I think that's also another important part is just focusing, right? I mean, trying to kind of, the news is the news, but everybody has a path and a plan forward and focus on that and and things should work out in a positive manner. Yeah. We're always focused on helping our clients do better or make more money and helping them become, you know, better versions of what we can help, you know, whatever they are, right? So yeah, when we can achieve that mission and help more and more people become better, then that gets rewarded in its own way. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. Like, I think there's been so much talk about, you know, the industry contracting a bit and not necessarily on the sample side, but on the full service side, being replaced with innovative methodologies, particularly digital information. Yeah. What's your view on that? Is that something that you're seeing? Is it, you know, we tend to do a little bit of hype, something new comes about, we tend to kind of inflate the purpose of that new methodology and sometimes be a little bit doomsday oriented. What's your perspective on all these new methodologies that are coming about? I think they're great, honestly, because research has always had kind of a tag of being slow to move and slow to react, right? So the more agile, more creative type technologies and solutions that are coming out, the better, I honestly think it is. I think that what I've noticed is when you talk about process earlier on, right? So when you're in your own process, you tend to do things very well, right? So if you're a sampling company, you could do a DIY tool very well, right? If you're uh, like a Zappy, right? You create all these concepts very well. And what I find is once you go beyond that stage of your own process, they tend to not know who to partner with and what to do. And when we talk about consolidation as well earlier on, I think, What's happened is we're doing more partnerships with people. We're having more kind of senior level engagement with people right. within our industry and trying to co-create things together, right? And so some of that I'm seeing come about quite a bit. Like we did a partnership deal with device Forensic IQ to bring out the uh, clean ID technology, right? So the more of these kind of partnerships that come out of this thing, the better off we're we will be and we'll create more opportunity for each other. I agree. And I think that's how we build a bigger ecosystem as well, because we're bringing new technologies, new partners, new opportunities for collaboration to kind of broaden our scope. And, you know, even on the podcast, I've had so many people outside of traditional research and people have reached out and said, oh, I definitely want to talk to that person because I think there's some opportunity to collaborate. Right. So that's exciting as well. We're not being... And the boundaries are, are stripped away that used to be there, right? The boundaries between qual and quant are blurring, right? The... Correct. You know, a lot of companies that started as something that are now evolving into something else. And as a research agency, you're having to kind of think about how you evolve yourself in those conversations. Like I've had some conversations with some research agencies when they're trying to pick or trying to decide how they should evolve and become more nimble. And if they're going to 
create some of these newer technologies themselves, how do they go about doing it, right? And that comes back to my point of like needing to jump outside of what they know and what they're familiar within their own process and trying to find someone to partner with. That's where I think we try to help people out as well, like bridging those gaps between processes and creating opportunities for people to connect to each other and create opportunity for one another. I completely agree with you. So here's my zinger question. Maybe it's not a zinger. I love zinger questions. What do you guys worry about? What keeps you up at night as it relates to your business? Everything. (laughs) I thought you were going to tell me you sleep really well. (laughs) I do sleep really well. That's one thing I do do. That's good. But I do work a lot as well at the same time. For me, it's hard, right? Because I'm doing bids, I'm doing projects, you're trying to create strategy, you're helping an individual with an organization that's going through something. It's like, I think we were talking recently, I feel like I have a, such a greater appreciation for entrepreneurs and people like yourself who've been doing this for, for many years. And it's not until you actually start to do it yourself that you realize how difficult it actually is. <laughs> so... So just being an entrepreneur is challenging enough in itself, but I think the things that keep me up late at night the most, I don't know. I guess cash is always helpful, right? Especially we're self-funded, right? And we're pivoting from a service business to a tech business, right? That's got its challenges because you have one revenue source that's feeding the development of another and you're trying to develop that out at the same time and you've got to be able to focus, honestly, on one thing is really challenging. And But I wouldn't train, change it for a minute. It's been a really fun ride and it's, we're just getting started, honestly. The fun part about entrepreneurship is you actually can truly see the fruits of your work, right? It's instantaneous. And that's incredibly satisfying. And there's days when it's not as satisfying. But to me, overall, you can really see the impact of your work. Yeah. And we're starting to see that now with some of the new products that we brought into the market, like with Clean ID, like it's going head to head against incumbents and new entrants into that kind of digital fingerprinting fraud space. And it's performing really, really well. And that's, it's so rewarding to see that, right? Because it's like, all right, you put, you're kind of like, you know, it's not like you put a lot of time and effort and thought into what you're creating. But to see it like perform better than anything else, that's always a good thing. And then with the valid ID, because we partnered on clean ID with the valid ID to be, be validation, that's like completely from scratch, like something that we created, right? So to see that pilot and work and get that going out there. It's been pretty fun to see. I'm excited. And so Andrew, when should people anticipate hearing about a broader launch of your products, your new products? Yeah. So right now, I would say we're still accepting probably a handful of beta customers on the initial launch. There are people that would be bigger buyers of B2B research that would work with us to help kind of build out the product. You know, so people that are interested in Working with us in that capacity, as well as obviously committing to a certain volume of completes in a calendar year that go along with it. Right? So that's not suitable for everyone. It's usually the bigger buyers of research in the market or in whatever markets we're looking for B2B buy. But I would say that's happening right now. End of Q2, we should be in a really strong position where we've got a lot of the universe validated at that point. And then it becomes more freely available for people to be able to access. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for tuning into this episode. Uh, one of the things that Andrew and I spoke about on this episode was entrepreneurship. And I know that a lot of people are going through this impact of COVID-19 and it's difficult in terms of either losing your job or feeling less secure about your job. And one of the silver linings is that this is an opportunity to really start a company, start a business. I know when we started Paradigm Sample in 2009, people looked at us like we were crazy because it was during some of the hardest economic times. But you learn to persevere. You learn to be scrappy. You learn to make it happen because you have to. So if you've ever wanted to start a company and you're thinking about what your options are, I strongly encourage you to do so. I'm happy to talk to anybody who might want to hear more about the experience and the journey with Paradigm Sample. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next week, peace out. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.